Welcome to the Squatch TV Paranormal Podcast for all your things paranormal and Sasquatch. We thank you all for listening and please enjoy the show. We have some amazing guests and deep thought talks with some fun thrown in. Please remember to like and subscribe. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining Squatch TV Paranormal Podcast. Tonight we have uh, Mike with us and Robert and Darren. Thank you for joining. We're just going to talk Bigfoot tonight, today, this afternoon, whatever time it is. Um, But uh, first and foremost, um, just a little bit about each of you so everyone knows who you are. I'm Tara from Squatch TV, and I'm also part of the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Project, county lead, Warren Potter, Forest County. And who wants to go next? Mike. All right, fine, I'll go. Okay. Uh, Mike Hartman, Squatch TV. But today I'm only here as a guest capacity because uh, Tara is in charge and it was going to be Shane Spencer, but he got lost in the woods. We, we got a 911 text saying, help, help, help. But he sent me a message the other day and he said, if anything ever happens to me, you get my gear. So... I'm not calling 911. I'm just doing a podcast instead. Sounds good. Robert. Yes, hello. My name is Robert, and I am uh, not officially uh, connected to any group, um, but I do uh, meet together with Shane and Mike from time to time, along with some others, uh, to investigate as often as I can, Uh, usually mostly in the summer when I have more time off. Awesome. Darren. Hey guys, Darren here. Uh, Woodbury Bigfoot group. Uh, go out to Woodbury all the time with Shane. Uh, been out with Mike a couple of times. Uh, glad to be on. And thank you for being here. So talking Bigfoot, um, the first thing that comes to my mind, of course, is the woo factor. Um, do you guys uh, talk ever talk about the woo part of Bigfoot? You know what that means. If not, I'll talk about it. No, the woo factor. Um, The woo factor is more so like the side, like you would think Bigfoot is flesh and blood and that's it. But there are some people that believe he is not flesh and blood, that he comes from outer space. He's mixed with aliens um that they go through portals do you guys think any of that exists i don't think so i think there's enough physical evidence and stories i mean i do believe that there's something outer space and some uh, people that have visited us from outer space but i don't think bigfoot crosses over into that Yeah, I'm in agreement with Darren. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of those theories uh, or hypothesis. Rather, I'm more mm-hmm. of. A, I don't like the idea of explaining uh, a mystery with another mystery. Mm-hmm. I'd rather mm-hmm. just stick to what evidence you have and let the evidence lead you to a conclusion. I like that. My. 
This was actually Shane's topic he wanted to bring up. <laughs> so I'm going to steal his answer. <laughs> okay, him and I have been talking about the woo and the woo factor because a lot of it keeps coming up on um, Facebook, it comes up on TikTok, it comes up on Google. And it, especially uh, when, when you like post a picture of Bigfoot or something, evidence, then you always get in the comments, which is why Joe Rogan says always ignore the comments. Just post your post, never read the comments. But you get a lot of people like, um, oh, yeah, the, he must have popped out of his portal long enough for you to take that picture. Um, I'm friends with the forest people. They walk up to my porch and hold my hand, and uh, we sing Kumbaya and roast marshmallows, and then they scurry away in the little hairy Bigfoot family to go live under my apple orchard. Um, must be someone at the door. Probably Amazon. Yes. Or I'm in the middle of a goddamn story here. <laughs> hey, ass, get over here. Sit. Lay down. Don't give me your shit. Lay down. <laughs> Zip it. I gotta hold her snout shut or she won't quit. Fucking pit bull. But yeah, um, so we, we was talking about all that different stuff and where does it come to play if it does? Because we have friends like, um, you know, who talk about, oh, I've seen an orb with the Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. haven't, but yeah. And so that story, though, comes up a lot with like orbs and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So we started taking, that was the door. Well, I'm busy. So, um, who the hell parked behind my truck? I'm about to fuck someone up and watch it be Shane. Oh, shut up. Baron and I will be right if it is Shane. It is Shane. Thank <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, here we were just talking about you. Was <laughs> <laughs> it good or bad? <laughs> it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Yeah, I'm going with you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Come on in. <laughs> oh, okay. That's fine. Speaking okay, of the devil. <laughs> You're dumbass. Move it. Come on. Oh, shut up and come on. <laughs> come on. Get in here, dumbass. There's, you want Pepsi or anything? I got some. Oh, you're a sweetie, ain't you? Oh, yeah. She just loves the love. All right. Well, I guess Shane and I are going live together. Okay. Oh. Oh, gosh. 
So we were talking up. He's getting sassy loves. <laughs> okay, so we were talking about the woo factor and bringing in the woo is the first thing Tara asked. So uh, Darren gave his answer that they're flesh and blood and uh, Robert agreed with him, but we had talked about some of the woo stuff. And I started to give my answer, and Sassy threw me off track. Okay. So, <laughs> where are you at on the woo? Well, there's a lot of people experiencing different woo factors, and I look at it like this. Some of their stories aren't really convincing, but until I actually have that happen to me, I'm not. I'm not going to discredit. You know what they somebody's experience. I'm going to say, oh, you're lying, or you're full of it, or whatever, but mm -hmm. uh, until I experience it, you know, uh, I'm sort of on the fence, but, you know, there again okay. comes the credibility. You know, Mike comes up and tells me something, a woo factor. Since I know him personally, I know he's ain't going to blow up the story. Yeah, I can believe it, but still deep down inside, it's like, really? You know, so it's, I listen to people when they say things, and I don't I don't form an opinion one way or the other, really. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I know it's possible. I mean, we got Bigfoot, so anything's possible. So mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah. So that's the way I sort of look at it. And I know there's different types of uh, woo factor as far as the uh, Bigfoots. All of a sudden you see them and they disappear, like some mm -hmm. say, into a portal. I have a really hard time believing that, but I don't have trouble believing somebody's story when they say that. Mm -hmm. I mean, somebody that's credible, but for me to take yeah. that part of the realm, I sort of take the part of a flesh and blood creature mm -hmm. uh, that leaves tracks, that leaves hair, that leaves scat, you know, and that, that, and I think there's you know two different parts of being a researcher one would be the woo side factor which some people cover and the mm -hmm. other is the flesh and blood and that's it's hard to cover them both so i try to stay in the flesh and blood because that's what i know and you know more what i believe in so but mm. but that's good that there's researchers in both parts of it you know yeah because you know the woo factor is I've seen some crazy things over the years that, you know, I might tell somebody and they, whoa, what, that, that's hard to believe, Shane. And it is till it happens to you, I guess. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, look how many people call us crazies for believing in Bigfoot. So, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah definitely. To them, that's a woo factor. If we believe in the flesh and blood Bigfoot, that's a woo factor. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You you are crazy, Shane, but not because you believe in Bigfoot. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Because yeah. you believe in nine pound squirrels. <laughs> yeah, and she wasn't even pregnant yet. <laughs> so, yeah, I like to see her when she got big. So, but but yeah, what you know? What's your take on it, uh, Darren? On the woo side, I mean, where do you stand? I know you believe in flesh and blood, but are you open to? The possibility of orbs and portals and I'm not sure about the portals, but the orbs, yes. I mean, there's too many people out there that have seen them, right? You and I have yeah. talked about it before. There's stuff out there, and there's certainly something. Um, <clears throat> what it is, I don't think anybody can really say. But uh, 
I haven't been convinced about the portals. I'm not, uh, mm -hmm. I, I know that they're flesh and blood. There's too many people that I've talked to and been out and seen too much stuff. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same here. Everything I've seen never had any woo factor to it as far as Bigfoot. You know, it's, you can see a, uh, a flesh and blood creature pushing over a tree, which I've seen one time. Uh, there's really no woo factor to it. You know, it's a physical being. And, mm -hmm. uh, Boris, now how do you how do you all stand on like where they can mind speak? You know, that's something that I am I would have to experience it firsthand before I could believe in something like that. You know, like what do they call it? Uh, tele telepathy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's possible. Do you? I do. I think it's possible. I mean People that have been abducted, and I'm not trying to get back into the woo factor or anything of that nature, but I mean, there's people that have been abducted by aliens and say that they speak telepathically with them. I mean, something mm -hmm. else could do that, I feel like. Yeah, it, it's sort of like when you feel like somebody's watching you. Yeah. So you're out in the mm -hmm. woods, you know, I've been out in the woods before, and I said, man, I just feel like something's watching me. And turn around, mm -hmm. there's a deer or a squirrel, and so that's sort of a woo factor there too, which we can't explain. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. I know it happens. It happens to us all. Like if you're at a red light and you got your eyes forward, then you say, oh, somebody's watching me. And you turn around and somebody's staring at you and hopefully they're good looking. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, and that's a woo factor. You know, if you, you can't mm -hmm. write it down on paper how it happens. Yeah, exactly. This also gets in a lot into like uh, paranormal research that I've done um, where people have a personal experience and you may not be able to prove that this personal experience happened. Someone, someone says they, they saw something or they were touched. You know, I've had, I've had personally, I've had experiences yeah. where, uh, you know, had I've been touched by mm -hmm. something that wasn't there. Um, yeah. You know, it's the, the difference is it's hard to present that as evidence. Uh, you know, personal experiences are not evidence. Uh, mm -hmm. Evidence is something tangible that you can hold in your hand. You can present it. Um, so I think it's important that, you know, when we are talking with people, uh, you know, if they have these personal experiences, if they, whether we believe it or not, you know, they may believe it. And I think it's important to respect that. Um, but when it mm -hmm. comes time to present evidence, an anecdotal story about a Bigfoot walking through a portal or, or some other kind of woo factor uh, I, I just don't see it as being very good evidence. Uh, and as an investigator, I'm going to struggle to present mm -hmm. that as, as mm -hmm. any kind of evidence or proof of any existence of, uh, of an unknown creature in the woods. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. I think tangible evidence for as uh, our Bigfoot research, for as videos, pictures, uh, castings, hair samples, you know, something tangible. That you can present to the scientific, not so much community, but scientific minds, you know, where people want proof, you know, they were saying, show me the money, you know, show me, yeah. show me the proof. And, and, and that's sort of the type of Bigfoot research that I want to do and I'm doing something that's, you know, I can present evidence and with the portals and the uh, mind speaking and the, I know some people do get some 
orbs in their videos or in the camera you know it looks like an orb but i also know cases of the moon shining through the trees uh reflections of the moisture like after rain or heavy dew moths different bugs and but there is some credible people that have seen orbs you know that with their own eyes that it was an orb you know it's mm -hmm. sort of like some people get bigfoot pictures that are blurry and anybody knows if you by the time you grab your phone and you get your phone up and you try to focus that it's just going to be blurry nine times out of ten and i think same way with orbs that people are seeing them like you said richie so there's got to be something to it you know and that's tangible an orb is tangible it's something that they're seeing and you can get on on video so i just want to point out that i'm now gearless because shane showed up so i don't get the ranger or all of his gear <laughs> that grizzly bear i let loose in um, woodbury apparently did not do his job well so the marshmallows weren't big enough he's not put out the marshmallows i've seen the marshmallows um so i know at this time of year like what do you think do you think it's an easier time during this time of year or during the summer to see a bigfoot and like what patterns you may have noticed with them in their sightings i'm probably going to be controversial on that for the simple fact that I believe the majority of the Bigfoots migrate out of mm -hmm. the region. That's just my own personal. Uh, I've got some friends that actually are on AEP land south of Coshocton. They grew up there and he told me, he said, Shane, that this action just dies off here. He coyote hunts. Yeah. He said for years, he said, I'd have, he really ain't into Bigfooting, but he believes him because he actually had an encounter. But he said it just falls off once wintertime comes. Mm -hmm. And so I don't do a whole lot of research in the winter uh, mm -hmm. as much as I do in the spring, say like usually around mushroom season, you know, May, mm -hmm. end of April, May, then I start getting more into it. Uh, then the ground's conducive to find tracks also, uh, which, which that's my main thing is I, I love finding tracks. Uh, then getting out like we do in the, you know, the night investigations, you gotta have warmer weather. These guys, mm -hmm. at 150 pounds, I gotta have warmer weather. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I truly believe a lot of migrate. I know all of them don't. Cause mm -hmm. I know David Wickham has shared, uh, shared with me uh, encounters or even around Woodbury deer hunters during the winter have had strange happenings or encounters so uh, hmm. you know, this is my opinion i can't prove it i don't have no tangible evidence just from my years of being out uh everything mm -hmm. seems to happen in the spring summer and fall never really had anything in december through march and mm -hmm. I'm you know, out in the woods deer hunting or just hiking. Not as much, but, you know, we get a nice winter day. We can get out, you know, in the woods and I'm, I'm gone. But uh, there, too, it could be a lot of what area you're in. You know, look how big Wayne National Forest is. You know, millions of acres. You know, the acreage on Robert's pretty good with the acreage at uh, 
Wayne Nashville. I know he says broken up into three different sections. Robert? Yeah, Wayne National Forest is uh, broken up into three different sections. You have the area that's around Nelsonville. You have an area that's east of that against the Ohio River. And then you have the area that's uh, the very southern tip of Ohio. They're um, near, uh, just east of uh, Portsmouth. And mm -hmm. those areas, um, I did, and again, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but but uh, you know, looking at a map, you can see that, like Shawnee State Forest, for example, is which is west of uh, Portsmouth. That 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 area is probably three times the size of Woodbury and uh, oh Shane, what's that other uh, area right there near you? Wills Creek. Yeah, that. There's another name for it, but yeah, but that area is probably three times the size of those combined. And then that just that one area of Wayne National Forest is about almost three times the size of Shawnee. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, large areas of land that uh, something like that could stay hidden. You know, who knows how much foot traffic <laughs> from people you actually get. Yeah, well, just from me and you uh, ATV riding down there, some of them hills or mountains, you know, miniature mountains up and down, up and down. And I doubt very few people get, well, even around Woodbury, there's some spots that very few people, and that's not near as remote as uh, Wayne Nashville, that very few people ever uh, enter into. You know, maybe the occasional one or two deer hunters, but it's, you know, more than that. It's, it's just, uh, me and Mike Spot 8 Canyon, we didn't see the tracks or the deer stands or the trail cams. Uh, you know, once you get off the road a couple miles, it's, uh, you know, less human intervention. So that's where I'd go hide, you know, if I didn't want to intervene with the likes of uh, Robert Swanger or Darren Ritchie, I'd go down to Middle Way, Nashville. You know. I've been down there a couple of times. It's a good spot to go. I've taken some people down there and they didn't believe me. And I said, something's following us. And I stopped and waited and they were about a, a good half mile, mile ahead of me. And I started taking pictures and I turned around and I knew something was there. And I saw a couple tree breaks and some other strange things and didn't want to really freak these people out. But then when I went back and looked at my pictures, there was a bear. I think Shane, I've showed you that one before. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, I think you yeah, you did show that too. I knew something was following us. <laughs> yeah, and there, there again, there's the woo factor where you got that feeling that something's watching you or paying attention to what you're doing, and you can't explain it, but it's there. It's there you know? yep. So I'm thinking a lot of the woo factors are maybe the way people are describing, you know, what happened to them is hard to believe for us. That you're actually there, you know, it makes it tangible when you're actually there witnessing, you know, something that's out of the ordinary. You don't forget about it. But. Well, it's uh, like, like a lot of early Bigfoot sightings by little kids, little kids. They always say it's a bear. It's a bear because they don't know what other name to use they you know they don't know oh hey that's a seven and a half foot sasquatch it's reddish brown in color no it was a bear that was the one thing that they can bring to mind and then as far as winter wildlife doesn't have to move 
it's not hot they don't have to eat and drink continually the cold weather slows down your metabolism so they don't have to move as much in the winter either if you can find that little itty bitty pocket hidden area just that little pocket mm -hmm. you don't have to move if you have a water source what do you need i mean you're going to the same food you have five feet away is the same food you're going to have 30 feet away it's going to be pine needles it's going to be tree barks it's going to be maybe if you're lucky and the ground ain't frozen you could dig up some grubs because all the harvestable grain is gone corn's gone soybeans gone food sources are gone there's nothing to travel to there's no reason to legit walk out of your living room because your living room is the same damn environment as your kitchen, as your bathroom, as your, it's the same, it's just woods. So. Yeah. Well, there's pieces of even Woodbury at 20,000 acres that, like I said, very few people get into and any time of the year. But could hold some Bigfoots, you know. They got to be staying somewhere. If people were reporting seeing them during deer hunting season, you know, hmm. November and December. So, um, yeah, you know, there's got to be some around. If only a third of them migrated, or half of whatever the number, there's still some around because of the reports that people have uh, gotten. So, I remember probably the the best piece of evidence I've ever heard of was Dr. Jeff Meldrum was talking about they had a cast of a footprint of a of a it was a I want to say a handicapped or, or where the where the foot had been damaged oh um, yeah from an injury and then they found the same track like you know 100 miles away in, in the neighboring state like it went from Oregon to Washington if I remember correctly but it's been so long since I've, I've seen that or heard that. And I don't remember the details, but, um, but yeah, if you can find evidence like that, where you can match, you know, tracks or something, that would probably be the best way to try mm -hmm. to prove that they do migrate. The problem is you may be able to prove they migrate, but uh, well, it's very much more difficult to prove that they don't. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And another thing Mike was touching on about the being in one area, you know, a little certain spot in the woods that's hardly any uh, human intervention is food storage. You know, chipmunks, squirrels, uh, wolverines, uh, porcupine. Know, porcupine, a lot of them put up food catches. So how do we know that Bigfoot, as smart as it is, we know it's smarter than been in a zoo by now. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're putting food catches up too, you know, stocking the corn, soybeans, roots, cactus, um, you know, it's leaves, you know. It, so it just. I mean, yeah, it sounds because there's people that have caches of like camping and hiking gear in certain parts of areas in case they run out of something and they can go quickly to that. I mean, it totally makes sense for. A Bigfoot to be storing stuff like that too. Yeah, I mean, if a little chipmunk can do it, he puts his cheeks all full of stuff and buries his stuff, you know, and mm -hmm. chipmunk ain't too smart, you know. They're pretty smart for their size, but, you know, a Bigfoot, you know, we know that they're pretty, pretty smart. So that's something that they have. 
would more than likely have to do mm -hmm. in certain areas depending on the resources so, you know it only, it only makes sense if, and you hear stories of hibernation and percent takes on a different realm of its own which you know i you know a lot of people try to say or they do say think out of the box and i i believe that too but i believe we need to think more in the box is what we mm -hmm. already know because if we already know something like me and mike's you know working on patterning uh mm -hmm. Bigfoot movement around woodbury we mm -hmm. already know some things you know we know where they're here in this time of year this time of year we're going to put it all together that's something in the box that we, that we know we can take and hey make this work yeah. mm -hmm. and sometimes you do got to go out of the box and we did that this year with the with the uh, imitation orbs the uh bait traps uh we were, we're going to be having for next year uh like a mannequin a dummy bigfoot made up a nine footer you know if you want to put around different areas uh like a decoy mm -hmm. so, so that's thinking out of the box but it's still in the box because people use deer decoys turkey decoys for hunting so it's still in the box it does work yeah, yeah. So, just like when you catch that fishing lure, it's supposed to represent a, that rappel is supposed to represent an injured minnow when you're reeling it in. That's yeah. in the books, but it's, you know, somebody come up with the idea to put that, make it a two part and wobble and vibrate, and, but it's still in the box. And usually in the box works because you know it's in the box for a reason because it works. You know? <laughs> uh, real quick, I like to revisit the idea of them uh, storing caches of food. The um, uh, one of the things I questioned about that is how much could they possibly store, considering mm -hmm. the uh, calorie intake an animal that size would require. I mean, and I okay. Mike has a good point about you know in the winter they may not need as much <laughs> if they're slowing down, but um, also sometimes it take it requires more energy to generate if you're as a mammal it requires more energy. Uh, to keep yourself warm, so to, to regulate your temperature in those climates. So, yeah, I'm just wondering what could they possibly store, and how much of it would they have to store in order to try to get through a winter? And my, I don't, I mean, I don't know the answers, but I, but I have to say, I would imagine that that they may, if even if they could store some food, they would still be required to go hunt and, and scavenge for for other oh, food as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, squirrels and chipmunks, they're, they got different storage areas, but they're through the winter constantly going through the woods getting food. You know, they that's sort of like a catch. It's sort of like a reserve or say the chipmunks or squirrel get the hickory nuts for the high protein, you know, and Bigfoot, there might be certain foods with higher values of different uh, proteins or fats or whatever that they're storing up because some foods you can't get in the winter you know so it's i would say fats fatty foods because if you're familiar with hunting alaska or anything like that there's one term you'll always hear up there and it's that they're protein starved they're pro or uh, not protein starved they're they're protein poison fat starved hmm. because it's such a hungry country and everything you shoot up there doesn't have a whole lot of fat. 
like every Alaskan household out there probably has a five gallon bucket of Crisco in it because they the animals are super lean and the fat's not there. Everything gets protein poisoned, fat starved. So I would say that the stash would be fatty food. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but how much it would take, I mean, I've heard of deer stackings where people have found like literally a stack, a pile of deer just in the middle of the woods. That happened right up here in northern Ohio. One of the largest stackings I ever heard of. It was like five feet tall and ten foot in diameter. And it was just a pile of deer. Just all piled up. But then we also do things that... Um, like if a Bigfoot were to be seen moving in the winter, if there's a, um, a processing plant nor towards the edge of the woods... Um, if there's deer hunters, deer hunters, while they do, they shoot an animal, they leave the liver, they leave the heart, they leave protein, they leave um, the rib cages, some only quarter and take the hind, the fronts and the hinds, and they leave the midsection, except for the back strap, so they leave this giant rib cage. Well, that rib cage has that layer of fat on it. Um, farms the best time if you're. If if you're sending your livestock to a producer to do it, it's one thing. They're set up to do it. They have freezer units. They have refrigeration units. If you're a farmer doing it on your own, you butcher in the wintertime because it gives you time to butcher without your your uh, food going bad, your meat. Mm -hmm. So then what are you doing? You're taking cow guts, pig guts, all this stuff, and you're dumping it on the edge of a property probably or feeding it back into your animals, which with cows is now illegal because of mad cow disease, but you can still do it with your pork products. But most people dump that stuff, and we kind of create catches for them in some aspect. Yeah. And right now is the last day of gun deer season. So next week, there's going to be zero people in the woods. But how many deer are going to be running around with a bullet hole in them or dead in a thicket because mm -hmm. someone lost the deer or, oh, I didn't get it. And really, they hit it right through the hindquarters and blew its ass out. So yeah. that deer is going to be wounded. It's going to be easy pickings. Right now, in some areas, there is still standing corn. There's one right by where I work. Uh, the guy always, he's the last to cut. So he had that food source of the corn. Well, not only that, that's where all the deer are going to hide during deer season because most deer hunters don't work walk through a cornfield. I think if you can pattern that food, maybe, it, it, yes, the catch, but also following the wildlife and knowing things like that, like what, you know, hey, every year for some reason, this guy, when it gets cold, throws out like three wheelbarrow loads of pig livers. It's the best meal ever. I can go, you know, and mm -hmm. pick up on that stuff. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Something I never, uh, I always try to listen to, you know, folks is, um, you know, Woodbury is right in between, you know, 
uh, Guernsey, Tuscarora, and Coshocton County, which are the highest deer uh, populations, and they always take the most deer during gun season. So, Mike, that's a great point. Um, but what I'm trying to watch in the wildlife uh, recordings is turkey. And okay. if there's turkey up there, and I don't hear a lot about it, but I'm, I'm wondering um, the same thing, Mike, about turkey season, right, in the spring. Um, and, you know, they they nest up in the trees. And I have to believe that Bigfoot, you know, go after them as well. It's just easy picking squirrels, chipmunks, and the little baby turkeys. <clears throat> and then the other point about hoarding food. I mean, last time Shane and I were out, we were literally tripping over the black walnuts. You know, black walnuts are everywhere up there. Mm -hmm. Just another nice source of, of food to to store for them. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Nuts have got a lot of fatty acids. In them, so. Yeah, they'd be fatty. So yeah. that would definitely be a. Then you look at all the road kills everywhere, especially on some of these back roads. You know, who's who's to say with nighttime they're not going out and grabbing them and. By the weather, you know, January, the meat stays good, you know, yeah. until March. So, yeah, that's a lot of possibilities. I've, I've, I've read a lot about, uh, uh, Robert was just mentioning something about, you know, uh, Washington, Oregon. Um, you know, the, the, the place out there is the Walla Walla, just on the border of Washington and Oregon there. And there's some famous stuff that's happening there and a couple books written about it. But... <clears throat> about food storage is our grape and our vineries. Um, you know, uh, we, I don't think we have many. I think you guys have some up there north of you guys, right there on the border of Ohio and Pennsylvania. There's a couple wineries up there and there could be some, but uh, really like to hear some stories about people with like little vineyards uh, and their grapes. Um, you know, we have lots of apples, peaches and pears and that type of stuff just south of um, Nelsonville. And that's not too far from, you know, Woodbury. So uh, just like to learn more about, you know, apple orchards. There's big ones out there. And then also the grapes, the people trying to make wine now. Yeah, I know at one time, Coshocton County used to have uh, tons of apple orchards. But during the Great Depression, all the apple orchards the price on them went so far down that a lot of farms had to close down and you know Coshocton's mostly woods now it grew up back up in the woods outside the, the mining in Coshocton County but uh sort of like deer you know deer used to be classified you know I don't know how many years ago but they classified them as a, a grazing animal but now they've adapted so much with the, you know, Ohio at one time was 90% wooded that they're now uh, go from a, a grazing animal to a browsing animal. They're more, you know, a browsing animal than they were grazing. Grazings are in the field, grasses and stuff mm -hmm. like that. The browsings, the twigs, the branches, the you know, leaves. So I think Bigfoot has to adapt too. He has to because look how our country you know, our landscape has changed with industry and, uh, you know, housing, you know, deforestation, forest fire, uh, the list going, he has to adapt, just like the code, he's adapted to Ohio. It's just, uh, you don't I adapt. I think we can all agree that um, 
uh, the, any any this animal would obviously have to be an omnivore. So both you know uh, veg, vegetables, plants, as well as meats. But I also think about uh, like you know black bears and how they're uh, not only scavengers, uh, omnivores, but they also are opportunistic. And <laughs> one of the things I'd, I'd like to see and, and maybe do is at some point hook up a trail cam behind some processing plant looking over their dumpster. Mm -hmm. you know, who's to say these things aren't coming in at night when there's no one around clearing out a dumpster? I mean, because most of these places probably wouldn't even think of putting cameras on their dumpsters. I mean, why would they care? They're throwing it away anyway. So there's nothing yeah. to protect. But you, know, you had the opportunity to, to scan that and maybe get, get evidence that way. Yeah, I've seen a couple of document, uh, documentaries that had dumpster diving squatches in it that people would claim that you know, they was getting in the dumpsters, which makes perfect sense. At nighttime, they go where they want. You know, we can't see them. You know, so they, they, they got three rings during the night. So, And it's funny, uh, Shane, that you mentioned um, the uh, apple orchards. I was thinking about this before um, uh, on your property. It'd be an ideal place to plant like a nice small little apple orchard or pear trees or something. Right something on time. That, yeah, just something that would draw them in. You know, maybe get some evidence that way. Yeah, that farm beside me, Blair, that 160 acres, that it went back in the 40s. That was all apple orchard. And how I know that, Mr. Uh, I can't think of his name. His son owns the winery called the Killing Tree on County Road 4. We call him Junior. But he's probably in his 80s. And he said, and he told me, was telling me all this history of Coshocton County that I had no idea about. And that was Coshocton being mostly apple orchards and fruit orchards until the Great Depression and then that uh, put them all out of business. He was telling me that hillside there to the right of me was all orchard. Now it's big trees, you know, that's 80 some years ago, the trees have grown. But yeah, it's sort of interesting. But... Well, not only that guys, but you know, just north of Woodbury too, and I've always been fascinated with it is the Amish right mike you were saying about how the guy down the street from you is the last one who's cut down his corn look at the amish you know they they take the wheat and they make those barrels well whatever haystack stuff and they put it out there be interesting to see just north of you guys down in you know Mil millersburg and berlin and up there and <clears throat> oh gosh the sugar creek that's all north of woodbury so if they're coming through there you know, the Amish have lots to offer them as well on all of their, you know, livestock and whatever they have out there. Yeah, even around Nashport, there's a lot of sightings of which exactly what you're saying, Darren, of them crossing, I believe that's uh, 39, Route 39. Yeah, 39 goes from Loudonville all the way over, uh, yeah, in the New Philadelphia. Yeah, the Nashport, and there's a lot of reportings of them seeing them in Nashport, but also road crossings right there at 39. And if you go past it, it looks like a totally different county because it's fields and very little woods. Then you get the south side of 39, it's all woods. So, yeah, that would be a, like I said, nighttime, then go where they want to, then cross an open field, you know, a couple hundred acre open field at night. They don't care. They know we can't see them. Go there and, you know get food that way it's there's a, two or three cases if not more of actual road crossings are at 39 and, the, and i drove by them i had to go up and see them there was the most unlikely spot that you would think a bigfoot would cross 
but there again at nighttime they can cross where they want to you know it's, and that reminds me of um something my uh another person that's a bigfoot researcher when she was out in Oklahoma, um, they saw a Bigfoot run from one of the casinos <clears throat> across the parking lot and across some highway that was really busy. And it was because they had dumpsters out in the back of the casino. And there were actually people that were terrified and wouldn't take the trash out at night because they would encounter the Bigfoot. Oh, wow. Yeah, it makes perfectly se good sense because, you know, if you're hungry, Mm -hmm. You've got to have calories to survive. You or me, you know, we would go dumpster diving if we had to to sustain ourselves. So. Yeah, and once you learn it, you don't have to, like, guys who put out deer feeders that are on a timer, and let's say the feeder kicks on at 7 a.m., at 6.45, there's 19 deer around that feeder staring at it. Because they know that motor is about to kick oh, on and yeah, they're about yeah. to get food. They yeah. they learn that pattern just as we're trying to learn their patterns. They've got their own that they've learned. So That's interesting, Mike. Um, the noises of now people who are doing that type of stuff, like those feeders, animals yeah. know those noises. Um, and they're attracted to the noises. Yeah, there's a... Uh, when you go out west hunting, Montana, Idaho, Utah, now hunters are being warned that when you shoot a deer, you have to watch your back because grizzly bears have learned to charge the sound of a gunshot because they know it means a dead animal. So if you shoot something, that's when you go from being a hunter to being a security yeah. agent. Wow. to make sure and they say get your guts out and you know get your animal get the hell out get get it down gut it once you make your shot don't screw around get it get out of that area clean it before the bear dies. yep <laughs> yeah. i was in um mombasa kenya and um went visited a crocodile farm and they had a it was at five o'clock they had a feeding where this guy would go out and he would hang chickens off of a hook dead dead you know pluck chicken and uh feeding with the alligators kind of for show but also to feed them but beforehand just like you were all saying with the the deer feeders and and the bears the these crocodiles or these crocodiles knew it was feeding time you know but no one gave them a clue there wasn't any they just knew that it was a feeding time and if a, a more primitive animal a reptile like a crocodile can figure it out a more advanced animal that's a mammal certainly can. And especially if it's an, what we would consider an intelligent animal, such as like a dolphin or a, you know, a human, or in this case, a Bigfoot. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you all a little secret. You know, sometimes you take the kids or grandkids to the zoo and you say, nah, today's not a good day. It's hot out, humid, the animals ain't going to be active. I, had, I got a big bunch of keys, about 10 pounds of keys. Well, maybe not quite 10 pounds nine pounds and, <laughs> oh, here we go. and you and, and you i got them on my pocket and you go in, inside on the building show you look through the glass and the animals hid in a hole or sleeping i just jingle my keys 
man, they would jump right up and start running around. They stinking it was feeding time. <laughs> so I did that everywhere we went that day. I just jingled my keys and they wasn't moving. And then, you dirty dog. <laughs> what kind of animal cruelty are you running at? Yeah. Let those poor things think they're about to get fed yeah. and then just lighten up. I just want to get a, a break out the old Polaroid here. Yeah, that's a mile. <laughs> yeah, that's some dirty pool, but I'm using it. Yeah, it jump right up. I mean, it'll be punchy or whatever, being where you go to the Do you guys? Like, do you use any kind of noise to help bring them in? Like Shane was just talking about the keys or the, are there any, anything that you use? Shane, um, <laughs> he dries his socks by the fire. <laughs> and, and, and that odor is more, don't be taking your shoes off. That is more than potent when there's wet socks right by, but. Actually, no, we we actually don't. Maybe it's not a half bad idea. Something we could look into, yeah. Some people, some people use coyote calls. Yeah, Mike, uh, Mike yeah, does I that use coyote calls, yeah. We've had good luck. I think that's where he got the, uh, at least one of the uh, Woodbury Howls. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound no way like a coyote, uh, but there again, there's another topic. Yeah. Is yeah. use other animals like we use beagles to hunt rabbits or dogs to track deer or pheasants? Yeah. Bigfoot use animals such as coyotes and fox in a partnership. Mm -hmm. I say yes. Yeah, uh, you were to ask about that if you think there's a part or something between coyotes and Bigfoot because it seems to be. It does. It really does seem to be something there because a lot of times when people have reports, they say, well, we heard the, this loud scream or whoop or how mm -hmm. else and the coyotes went off. Yeah, I have a vocalization like that from seven minutes from my house um, of uh, coyotes and you can hear a Bigfoot howling in there. Yeah, there's some correlation like the Alaskan trappers, when they run their trap lines, they'll, uh, the foxes, the wild foxes got to where they would follow them because they know the trappers would take their mink or whatever they got, beaver, out of the trap, gut it, with all the entrails out, then the coyote would be five, ten, I mean, the fox would be five, ten feet away looking up and waiting to throw them out, then he'd eat them, and we'd go to trap line, to trap line, to trap line. So that was a wild animal that you know, he found his catch was following this trap. Mm -hmm. So there is a report from a credible witness. And then when he first, and he's one of, he's a really good friend of mine. I call him the mountain man of uh, AEP land because he's been there all his life. He raised right in Coshocton. Mm. I won't give his name, but uh, <clears throat> he told me one time on his sighting, he said, Shane, there was a fox setting right beside the bigfoot when i seen it he was with two other guys and he said it was like they was coordinating together he said the bigfoot was sort of turned away from him he said when the guy in the yellow suit because the yellow suit would have the glare off the sun from the mm -hmm. fabric, he said it was at maybe 60 yards away and they all three seen it that he was with and he said the bigfoot turned and took off a run the fox was running right behind them running together 
And I thought, man, that is just so hard to believe. I believe I know Lance. I trust him like I do Mike or Robert or Darren, but it's just so hard to believe. But then I heard about the Alaskan trappers, the foxes follow them. So who's to say that Bigfoot didn't catch a cub, dig out a cub, train it like we would a dog? You know, Josh just had a, a, a wild fox. A fox. Yeah. yeah. So that ain't out of the realm. It was for me until I heard the credible witness, my buddy, tell me this. Mm -hmm. And I know he wasn't making it up and he was for real. So and I believe him, you know. So, yeah. So, what <clears throat> along that lines, we've all been over there. I, I'd like to get some trail cameras of those beavers and Woodbury. I want to see Cordwood Beaver. Yes, he's got me curious. I got to see that little bastard in that. And yeah. That's all there is to it. That is, pretty, that is pretty amazing. I was yeah, down there like the week after, and he showed me that. That's pretty amazing. That's That that one's way back in the middle, that thing. But um, I've been watching a lot of documentaries on beavers now just because there's so many signs of it up there in Woodbury, as you guys know. And mm -hmm. I actually heard a beaver slap its tail on the water. And it's like a warning sign. Have you guys ever heard anything out there at night in Woodbury with the beavers slapping their tails in the water? I've heard it at daytime. Usually you spook them. Yeah. Usually it, that slap, they know that something's around. So, but we're never like right on top of the ponds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, right around the corner, right in front of the fridge. So, um, yeah, that's something that I do listen to. And I can't say because I've recorded some distant wood knocks. I, I can't say for sure it wasn't a beaver tail slapping because they would sound very, very similar at, at nighttime at a distance. But one of the more... I got a cold beaver story for you. All right, I'll I'll say it. I'll tell you real quick. So out west, they ran out of beavers after Mountain Man era and after the trappers. So the ODNR got this genius idea that they were going to take thirty nine beavers, and they were going to build these special cages, and they were going to paradrop beavers back in Montana in the Bitterroot Mountains. So they worked on these traps, worked on these traps. There was 40 beavers, but one didn't make the landing. Only 39 did, so they lost one out of 40. Hmm. But um, the, the number one beaver that they tested the traps with and whatnot, and this was uh, males, was the male count. It was a pair. It was a male-female pair, 40 pairs. But uh, the one, because he was such a, uh, since he was the test beaver, they decided that they were going to pick out the best possible pawn for him. And not only did they airdrop him with one lady, but they dropped him with two ladies. So they gave him two girlfriends when they kicked him out of the airplane. And then the cage would land, the sides would open up, and that's how beavers got reinduced into the West, was that they were thrown out of airplanes and paratroopers. Oh. They lost one out of 40, one pair out of 40. Wow. That's <laughs> it is. It's a cool story. Yeah, it is. It is hot. Hey Tara, um, you had asked about making sounds trying to draw in uh, um you know, 
possible Sasquatch and stuff. The, um, um, one of the first times I went out, I was with my uh, friend Jim. Actually, it was the first time I met Shane. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim, we didn't use sounds, but Jim brought with him. Uh, he builds. Uh, he's involved in uh, like comic cons and stuff, and he's um, and he brought with him a pair of uh, lightsabers. That you know, real nice, high quality ones that you'd see, you know, people that dress up and wear, you know. And um, we were just kind of playing with those next to this pond in Woodbury. Um, just you know, like a couple of nerds swinging this lightsaber around, and then we just set them on top of the vehicle. And, and uh, that night, we actually did have, I mean, the air was as still as you could possibly get it. Um, but that night, we did have a tree fall. On the other side of the ridge. Wow. So, well, our hypothesis was that, you know, if we're here, they're watching us. Yeah. So, let's yeah. give them something that they've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the lightsabers might make them more curious. So, that was that was his idea. And uh, I give Jim all the credit for that. And uh, it, it seemed to work. We had something. That's pretty awesome. So you introduced me to two guys, two grown-ass men who go out in the middle of the woods with lightsabers. <laughs> You're not my father. <laughs> and you thought that these guys would be great for me to meet. Like, hey, let's go in the woods with these grown-ass stormtroopers. All right. Good looking. At- all right. All right. All right. I got you. I got well, here, you. Here's another one that you might find interesting too. And Shane knows about this, and I probably shared it with Mike. I know Shane knows about it more firsthand. But the um, when we had planned to come out that first time, this has been I want to say this is what three years ago. The um, uh, I decided I had a Saturday off. I was bored. I was like, you know, I'm just going to drive out there. I'm going to explore the area on my own and get a feel, you know, for Woodbury. I'd never been there before. So, well, there was a point where I had been driving around and I stopped and there was this gated air gate gate going into some private land. And I just walked up and I had to relieve myself. Well, I did that, made a short video for my two friends, got back in my vehicle and I took off. Well, we came back three days later um, and Jim was following me. That spot where I had parked my vehicle, there was a tree fall. And... Uh, you know, we stopped, checked it out. Later, we have David Wickham come out and Shane look at it. And, you know, from all accounts, there was no reason for that tree to have fallen over. It broke 10 feet. Up, uh, it was literally 10 feet high where it broke. There was nothing else around. We checked. I even, when I got home, checked the weather and there was no wind gusts or heavy winds or anything. And if even, even if it were the wind, the tree fell the wrong direction. And I couldn't help but wonder, and again, just this is sheer speculation on my part, but did I mark my territory in someone else's territory? Oh, my gosh. That's an awesome thought. Yeah. That could be. Yeah. You know, I got it on video. I was just that lucky. But there's a video of me on YouTube, and I'm looking at a footprint. It's a bluebird day, not a breath of wind. And over the camera, you hear, <laughs> and then you hear a tree fall right across from me. Hmm. And I just look up with the camera and I'm like, okay. And then I, I hold my camera around. I show the treetops aren't moving. 
nothing, but yeah, just middle of the day. I'm, I just pulled in. I was not even there five minutes and I was looking at what I thought was this footprint and then a tree falls literally at that exact moment right across the road, right across the valley from me. So, yeah. wow. That's crazy. Well, we did have another woo, woo moment at uh, Mike probably remembers we was at the ball and Mike had the uh, uh, the mic set up, you know, the high power mics, and I had them headphones on, and I was hearing some talking, chanting. I yeah. don't know what it was, but I heard it. And I'm like, here, Mike, listen to that, and and he heard it. Yeah. So there was a woo factor that you know I'm not an, an investigator on that part of it, but. There's something that did happen, and Mike heard it, and I think there was one more. It might have been Josh or Hell that heard it too, and it, it was distinct. Something, Camping, yeah, yeah. I don't know what else to call it. It was, and it went on for well, I listened to it for eight, ten seconds, say five seconds, and Mike listened to it for five seconds. Ten seconds of it is at least, and it, was, it wasn't legible language. It was garble. It was just. Like, if you could make words in the symbols, <laughs> that's what it sounded like. If you could make words in the symbols, that's what the ever the hell we heard. Yeah, exactly. Nothing else around. I mean, it just. Was, no, we're middle of nowhere. Yeah. There's no houses, no nothing around us. And across the way, we get this weird ass chanting. So. Yeah, that was a woo moment. That, yeah. You know, you could tell somebody that, and I'm like, yeah, right. You know, somebody that ain't into the paranormal, you know, just common person on the street. So, yeah, I heard that chant, and they're like, yeah, you heard some. What kind of dope you smoking tonight, you know? Yeah. Right. But it, it was a woo factor, but we know it happened. So that's why I can't dismiss other people's claims of woo factors. Yeah. If, if they want me, if they want to, if they accept mine, I should accept theirs. It's a courtesy thing, you know. I don't have to put you down. You don't put me down. Just tell your story and be truthful. If you're credible. I've heard that so many times by David Wickham. Credible. You got to be a credible witness. One that you ain't pulling hoaxes. Uh, you're, you know, you're bringing legit stuff to the table. You're not making foot tracks so you can cast them, you know. it's You're not trying to make a name for yourself. You're just being a avid bigfoot paranormal whatever researcher people can believe that hey this is the real of it so like if i if i call david up and say hey, david i had a sighting he believes me it ain't maybe you've seen a bear or maybe because he knows me i'm out in the woods all the time he knows hey he finds a track and i might think it's good he might not vice versa you know mm -hmm. we got we got to have respect for our evidence you got to have respect for each other but we got to have respect to our evidence or presenting it to somebody that's a stranger or a newbie or whatever. It's got to, that's what I try to do. Bring something not only tangible, but as we know, most Bigfoot research is not tangible. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's the time you get your night vision up. We've experienced it before. Yeah. We've seen eye shine or think we've seen a bush move. Time you get your night vision on. You get it up, you get the settings, you get the hour, like, gone, it's gone, you know? Yeah. But we got a cure for that next year. 
coming. That and the thermal. We got a hundred percent cure that's in that moment that you need it, we're gonna be way ahead of the game for next year for that. Um, Darren or Robert, do you guys have any plans on changing up your research tactics or are you good with research now? Um, for myself, my, my biggest thing I need to do the most is just get out there more. Um, mm -hmm. I live closer to Columbus, so it's a little harder for me to get out. I, I'm just not next door to uh, an area where to be easily investigated. Um, yeah, I'm about from, from the Woodbury, I'm about an hour and a half away. Yeah. So that's a, that's kind of a real time logistics commitment to get out there and do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as otherwise, I'm, 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 I'm a bit of a, a minimalist, but I, I realize, and I got that from the paranormal, um, too often you have all these devices that are supposed to help mm -hmm. you talk to ghosts and spirits. And I just, I never really trusted them or, or thought they were uh, necessarily valid. Mm -hmm. So I kind of need to get away from that a little bit with the Bigfoot stuff. Cause I think technology is going to be key more so than with paranormal it's going to be more key to finding uh, tangible evidence. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I just gotta, <clears throat> I just gotta keep Shane's advice. This is, where is it? Last time we were out, I must've dropped this little thing about five times. And then Shane said, why don't you tie something on there so we don't have to look for it anymore. So <laughs> just keep trying different stuff, you know. Shane, I might give you this thing because I took it out the other day too and I dropped it and went back and had to find it again, man. Waste more time trying to find your gadget, your gear. Yeah, you might as well just give it to me right now. <laughs> yeah, might as well. <laughs> You've seen the briars I had to backtrack through on these bushes and Right. Uh, we'd already walked 10 miles and here I'm backtracking too. So, what is your recorder? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And that's another thing I want to update on is Mike's got an awesome one, but for our plans this year, you know, maybe hiking and camping, we need something that's, you know, more compact. And mm -hmm. we need a sponsor, we need money. <laughs> so, you know, we a lot of things that we want to do, you know, you're limited, you know. So we got bills and with inflation, how it is, but we do the best we can. So yeah, I just I just bought a pretty cheap uh, um, night vision. It's it's a uh, black and white, but I've taken it down by my river um, where we do bonfiring and let the kids play with it and let the I mean the the women grab a hold of it. You can see the deer clear as day, and they're about. Oh, I don't know, 50, 60 yards away, and this thing records. So I'm anxious to get it out. It's not black or it's not color, but it's black and white, and you can zoom in. So uh, that's pretty nice. I, th I got it for 50, 60 bucks. I was telling Shane it was a really great find. So anxious to get that out in the woods. <clears throat> yeah, upgrading our equipment is going to be key because that night we heard the whoop. It was the most clear. It was like he was watching a, a Bigfoot show, you know, a documentary, a credible documentary. And here, whoop, we heard it just crystal clear and plain. We knew it's nothing else on earth but a Bigfoot. We knew yeah. that. Then we might. Since we yeah. heard that, we knew it was a Bigfoot. There oh, wasn't yeah. nothing else. There's no, we know the animals enough around Ohio that we know every pretty much every sound they're going to make. That was a Bigfoot. Yeah, I'm so, pretty sure we even fist bumped when that happened. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it was great. But I got it on this recorder, and 
I was glad that I did, but if I'd have had a better recorder, you know, I presented a, you know, and it didn't sound nothing like what we actually heard. So if we can upgrade our equipment to say, hey, this is what I, I heard this and I got it on this and it sounds exactly like what I heard. We're as close as possible. So I did get it, but it wasn't something that I could say, present it to somebody and say, yeah, that's an awesome move. No, because you just heard uh, on a skip. 10% of what we, what me and Mike and whoever else was there heard. So it was upgrading equipment is definitely, uh, you know. Yeah, speaking of recorders, um, the one thing, like you're, Terry, you were asking about what to do differently. Uh, mm -hmm. Keep those recorders going all night long, even if you don't <laughs> think anything's happening. Because Shane and I and uh, our my buddy Jim, we, uh, we were witness to uh, a, an incredible display of wood knocks one night. Uh, in Woodbury, uh, some movement and uh, and some other uh, noises, and had no evidence of it because we had kind of, you know, conceded that eh, nothing's going to happen tonight, and we would all but put our stuff away, just sitting around the fire, just talking, you know, <laughs> BSing, and all of a sudden, all this activity happened before we could even get ourselves together. It was over. If you don't mind, Robert, tell that story. I don't know if Tara or Darren has heard it. That, that's you, you're a better storyteller than I am. If you would tell that, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll share that. So we had uh, we were in Woodbury and we we're just parked. Uh, Shane brought his truck, I, and Jim had his truck, and we're just sitting there. Shane's in back of his truck. I'm sitting in the tailgate of Jim's truck. Jim's sitting in a chair, and all of a sudden, um, you know, gosh, it was like one. 15 in the morning, I want to say, quarter after one in the morning. And all of a sudden, we just heard this wood knock to the east of us, loud and clear. I'm, I'm going to guess, say 35 yards. Yeah, it was close. Yeah, it was close. And it and was plain as anything. We're all like, whoa, 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 what'd you hear? What, what was that? And then I remember Shane, you, ju you, you jumped off, you kind of let out a yelp, jumped off the back of your truck. I did. He, no, I didn't hear it, and Jim didn't hear it, but Shane said he heard something. At the time, the way you explained it was, like, you heard something sigh or hail, something big and heavy and deep, um, and that scared you. I remember your, your exact words were, it made me feel like I just wanted to get in my truck and go home. <laughs> yeah. You didn't even want to be there at that point. But, um, well, then not long after that, right from the same direction that he heard the uh, the exhale we heard another knock so this is all at this point we're probably still within half a minute <laughs> between mm -hmm. the two knocks and then about five maybe five seconds or ten seconds after the second knock a th that's from our south a third knock occurs from our west and this is just behind a pond uh, and a little bit of a ridge and I remember thinking we're surrounded yeah and and when that third knock occurred it was probably another five to ten seconds or so and the first knock to the east of us repeated and they were all just one knock a piece so it was four total from three different directions wow and we could hear movement to our east and whatever it was you could tell it was moving away from us mm -hmm. so i don't know if something was following walking down in that creek <clears throat> And, or what and uh, and then there was one other weird thing and and from the pond 
for I'm going to say the the pond's kind of diagonal from uh, northwest to southeast. From the southeast end of the pond, there was a frog that just started riveting. Now, mm-hmm. the way I describe it is, you know, you usually have the, the frogs, and it's kind of kind of funny, but you know, the frogs are like ribbit, ribbit. Hey, ladies, I'm over here, ribbit. You know, just casual. <laughs> and then you know, you've heard, you probably heard frogs where they cry out like being attacked by a snake or something mm-hmm. they sound almost like a baby crying though you know it's gonna you know it's kind of sound yeah it was. This one was neither of those it was yeah. something in between it was it was a ribbit like a bull like a traditional bullfrog ribbit but it sounded agitated like yeah. it was like it was warning i mean i'm the only i like, just to try to mimic it as best i can would be to say it was like a ribbit 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 Ribbit, ribbit, like a lookout. There's something here, and then on the fall, on the other end of the pond was another one responding to it, and they were both doing the same thing back and forth, and mm-hmm. and and that was right after the third knock, the one that was closest to the pond, mm-hmm. and that continued until just after the the movement ceased and, and whatever was moving away from us moved away, and wow. then finally the frogs settled down, and. So the one the one thing, you know, that noise that, that Shane heard, I mean, maybe it was a deer, you know, maybe it just grunted or something. Maybe we were just a little heightened at that moment. Um, well, I went back in the woods. I mean, yeah. all kinds of things move through the woods, right? And even the frogs. I mean, I'm no, you know, zoologist. How do I know what kind of sounds frogs make in the middle of the night, you know? Mm-hmm. But the one thing we can't explain is the wood knocks surrounding us in three different directions yeah. and then just like that they were done the whole incident <laughs> lasted two minutes yeah and then it was done and they left and we were there for another hour and 15 minutes and nothing else ever happened yeah yeah i did go back the the next day and where i was sitting on the truck and down over that hill towards that bog swamp area i did see a log probably this big around where something had stepped on it. It was about this wide, like a foot, like a little wider than my foot and had stepped on it and broke it down because it was all going like this, like something had stepped there. And that was right where I heard that breathing sigh, whatever it was. Hmm. Um, then we did, after we heard the knocks, remember uh, Robert, we, you and James went the one way down the lane this might, I forget the time frame of maybe a couple minutes after the last knock. You and uh, James went one way and I went the other way with scanning with our uh, night vision. You might have had thermals with us, but we didn't catch anything. I was trying to get ahead. No, yeah, you're scared in the moment, but you're there to get evidence. So I went by myself down that long lane that they told me to go by myself at, forced me to a gunpoint. <laughs> And I went down it like a man, and they went the other way. But I was all by myself, though, for, what, three or four hours sitting there? You guys made me stay down there? <laughs> you had a lightsaber. You were good. Yeah, he gave me a lightsaber against a nine-foot hole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, no, that was – and funny thing that happened to that night, Robert. We Remember, we was at AEP before that, and all them razors and quads running around run us out of there. So we was like, are we going to go home? And Robert uh, suggested the spot there at Woodbury, and sure enough, uh, 
11 30 12 o'clock we headed there and that paid off who who would have known you know mm -hmm. yeah that was a crazy night yeah I, I do remember just sitting there on the tailgate and just i mean i wasn't necessarily i wouldn't say scared but i was definitely on on, on alert and again that whole idea that i mean we're all armed you know we don't go out there without a sidearm but just thinking we're surrounded i just i just remember that feeling of Wow, there's only one way out of here, and that's north, <laughs> back up the road. Yeah. yeah. And for $3.99, we'll take you there. If you're listening <laughs> on this episode tonight, just <laughs> um, <laughs> we, need, we need to know thermal, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> right well, I'm going to wrap this up. Um, I'm hearing thunder outside, so I think I might lose you guys. Um, okay but um thank you all so much for coming on and talking and sharing your thoughts and experiences and i would love to do this again sometime this was great awesome yeah I enjoyed thank it. you all right thanks y'all be good now thanks everybody <laughs> everybody take care <laughs>